this is the last Sunday of 2014. And for me, the end of the year is always a time of renewal and refocus and reflection. January 1st will, will be ground zero for me. The 365 days of 2014 will be gone. They will be done. On New Year's Eve, I'll probably ask the same questions that I've been asking myself uh, every New Year's Eve since I first came to faith in Christ in 1976. Just about every New Year's Eve, I ask myself the same questions. My journals bear that out. Have I lived it well? Have I lived this last year well? Have I accomplished what I set out to do at the beginning of the year? Have my goals been achieved? Has my walk with God improved? Have I gotten better as a person and better as a, as a husband and better as a father and better as a pastor, better as a leader? Have I gotten any better? At this time last year, we were engaged in a Saturday night Bible study that was growing rapidly. We started out in the family room of our house on Jen Keller Court in South Windsor. And then we moved to the basement of this building, to the Ross Room downstairs. How many of you were part of the gathering when we were in the Ross Room? Okay. And then remember, we moved across the hall to the Windsor Room. When the Ross Room got too crowded, we moved into the Windsor Room. And when the Windsor Room got too crowded, we moved into this room, which is called Wandsboro Hall. And then we decided, with great bravery and a little bit of insanity, that we would investigate the possibility of forming a new church. And on May 4th of this year, we held our first Sunday morning service. And just think, in two weeks, we will be moving from here and moving into our new home at 1821 Provincial Road. Really, only God could have orchestrated that, don't you think? I, when I look back and, and share my story with other church planters, they just about ripped me to shreds. I've been going at this for seven years, and we only got 30 people. You've been going for less than a year, and you got... So yeah, but it's not, about, it's not all about the numbers for us. It never has been. Only God could orchestrate all of that, and we give him praise. I believe there's a hunger. I believe there's a famine in our land for the Word of God. And when people are taught the Word and the Word is being preached, people will come. They might not have all the twirling lights and disco balls and, uh, you know, million-dollar sound systems, but they'll get the Word of God, and that's the most important. The worship here is simple. The prayer, passionate. The teaching, we hope, is strong. We're working at keeping the main thing the main thing. We keep, so we keep on repeating our vision. What's our, our goal, our dream, our vision? The gathering exists to bring glory to God through lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. We want our church to be gospel-centered, spirit-led, and mission-focused. That's important to me, and I, I know that it's important to you as well. So as we stand on the starting line, you know, it's like we're, we're on the starting line of a brand new year. We're ready, set to go. We're just waiting for the, for the gun to fire. As we, 
as we get ready and stand on that starting line of a brand new year, let's make sure we have our priorities straight. I found a text a couple of months ago that really helped helped me immensely as I thought about my priorities uh, for the coming year. So would you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please? Um, If you're using one of our Bibles, it's on page 986. If you're not sure where 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is, just look in the front of the Bible. You'll find a table of contents. Find the page number for 1 Thessalonians. Turn to chapter 2. And the very first 12 verses of this chapter are really beneficial to us as we make some preparations for the year 2015. As we step into the new year, what priorities deserve our consideration? What urgencies should be in place as we, as we uh, consider our families and our churches and uh, our own lives? What, what, what urgencies are there? Well, this is what I see in this text. And I would suggest, first of all, that we need to be biblical. Looking back over the time he spent with the believers in this city of Thessalonica, Paul says, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And I don't know about you, but those of you who are in the Ross room, maybe you see some reflection of the gathering in this text. I certainly do. I'm convinced that there was a constant barrage of urgent needs pounding away on the Apostle Paul's mind. But he made sure that his life and his ministry were fixed solidly on the scriptures, grounded in the word of God. Did you catch these phrases as I read them quickly? When he spoke amidst the strong current of public opposition, it was the gospel of God that he shared, verse 2. The very foundation of his being was not error or impurity or deceit, but rather the truth of scripture, verse 3. Furthermore, he considered the word of God as something entrusted to him. And it gave him such security and confidence that he didn't feel the need to compromise or become a people pleaser. There are enough of those to go around. And even though it may sound old-fashioned, the first and most significant priority that we need to cultivate for 2015 is to make the scriptures a part of our lives. A biblical mentality is the secret to to surviving the aimlessness of our day. I've said for so many years, if we could just get everybody in our churches reading the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, and trying to apply the scriptures, we'd be in a lot better shape. We cannot develop a biblical mindset unless we're reading the Bible consistently and systematically, right? Right? How can you develop a biblical worldview if you don't know what the Bible says about the world in which we live? (laughs) We we need to know the Word of God. And and I, I say that not to produce any more guilt in your heart, 
It's the end of the year and you realize you, 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 know, you abandoned your Bible reading program back in May. I, I'm not saying this to, to create more guilt or more angst for you, but rather just to encourage you and, and, and to, to remind you that the new year is kind of a new start. It's a fresh start for all of us, for all of us, really. So today I, I want to encourage you as best I can to select a Bible reading plan for 2015 and, and to the best of your human ability, stick to it for the whole year. I use a, an online Bible app called YouVersion. Uh, it's on my iPad and it really helps me to stay consistent in my quiet time. Typically, I have chosen a one-year Bible reading program so that I go through the Bible uh, every year. I've been doing that for probably more than 30 years. Every year I go through the Bible. Uh, my personal goal this year is, is a little bit different, and I've, I've, I've changed my, my idea. Uh, I would like to read the New Testament uh, every 90 days so that I read the whole New Testament four times in uh, 360 days. I got five days off. <laughs> so that's my plan. So I went to version and I looked for the New Testament 90-day reading plan, guess what? There isn't one. There's a 40-day plan that's a little too much each day. and you know, So I just decided I'd create my own. And so I, I did that, and I put it online, and it's, it's uh, on our website. If you'd like to look for that on the articles, under articles, you'll find that uh, New Testament and 90-day reading plan. That's just my personal preference. I'm going to try and do this, and uh, goals aren't worth much if they're not public. So I'm, I'm kind of making it public and making myself accountable. I want to read the New Testament every 90 days for the next year. So you're welcome to use that one or any of the other uh, Bible reading plans on YouVersion. And I approached YouVersion with my plan, my 90-day New Testament reading plan. They weren't interested because they have got so many plans on there already. You, you would be shocked if you ha haven't had a look yet. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of of options. So pick one and do it. Read the Word of God. In order to be biblical in your worldview, you have to read the Bible. So let's start fresh in the new year, shall we? And let's read the Word of God together. Uh, just get in the Word and read. Absorb it. Apply it. That's the first priority. Be biblical. The second one is to be authentic. Verses 5 and 6. Just listen to the way Paul talks about himself. For a moment, he switches from the focusing on the messenger, or I mean the message, to talk about the messenger. And he says in verse 5, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And I take from this passage, it, <laughs> Paul's just so out there. He's just being so real. He's so secure that he peels off all the masks and all the cover-ups and just stood vulnerable before God and his reading audience. It's really beautiful. Even though he was a, an authentic uh, first century bigwig, you know, an apostle, he, he approaches life very humbly and he doesn't push for the limelight. He consciously resists being a power abuser. Uh, certainly nobody could accuse him of being a, an autocratic leader. Um, right alongside of being a strong believer in the scriptures, Paul was also a very authentic person. Genuine, true, real, not a phony, not a phony. Free from the standard hype that often accompanies people with a public 
persona. He's just who he is. Paul the tent maker. Paul the apostle. And he shares his heart regularly uh, with, with people. Uh, not long ago, I, I led the, the first devotional that I've done for our youth group. Stephen Knight Messenger is doing a great job. Uh, recently, I went to youth on Monday night and I led uh, the devotional. And I was talking with my daughter, uh, Kristen, just the day before, and she said, you know, what's happening, what's going on? And I said, oh, tomorrow I'm doing the devotional for the youth. Nothing creates more angst in my heart than teaching kids. Really, I didn't grow up in the church, so I have no idea how to really do it the right way or relate to them, uh, you know, as a youth group. I raised kids. We had teenagers, been there, done that, got the scars to prove it. Uh, but I said, you know, do you have any advice for me, honey? You know what she said? Do you know what she said? Dad, just be yourself. She said, you're a solid teacher. Just teach the word and be yourself. You know why? Because teenagers can smell a phony 10 miles away. So she said, don't try to be the hip, funny pastor. Just be yourself. Because she knows I don't have a sense of humor anyway. Just be yourself. See, being authentic means that we are, we can be free to fail. We, we, we have the freedom when uh, an authentic person has the freedom to admit that he's wrong or she's wrong. We're free to confess wrong or to declare the truth, declare what's right. When a person is authentic, he or she does not always have to win or always be in the top 10 or always succeed or always look or appear to be super spiritual and have all the answers? No. You can just be yourself and say, ah, I don't know. Pastor Robert Wise wrote a book in which he mentions an experience that really encouraged him to be real, to be authentic. He said, I had a friend who used to call me every Monday morning on, on, on the phone. I'd pick up the phone and this fellow pastor would say, hello, this is God. I have a gift for you today. I want to give you the gift of failing. Today you do not have to succeed. I grant that to you. And he'd hang up. Bob said the first time that happened, he said, I, I, I just sat there staring at the wall for 10 minutes. Like, what just happened? The first time he said, I couldn't believe it. It, it really was the gospel. I mean, God's love means it's even okay for me to fail. You don't have to be the greatest thing in the world. You can just be you. You can just be authentic. I like that. I don't think there's anything more distasteful than a religious phony. So let's make the Bible our foundation in the year ahead. And as we apply its insights and its principles to our lives and to our workplaces and to our families, let's also cultivate a style that is very authentic, very real. Just be yourself. The next priority, the next resolution for 2015, be gracious. Paul deals with this third priority beginning in verse 7 where he writes about the value of being a gracious person. We were gentle among you, he said, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What a, what a gracious, tolerant, tender spirit he was. I mean, really, when you read those words, you're just drawn to this guy's heart. The man was both approachable and tender. Did you notice the word pictures? It's hard to miss them, right? He cared for others as a nursing mother. There's nothing more tender than that picture. And he dealt with them in their needs as a father. And confident, and yet caring and compassionate, making sure their needs were met. He had compassion. A very high priority to this capable, brilliant man of God was also a courteous, compassionate, caring attitude. So we need to share not only the gospel of God with people, you know, Declaring the truth, we also need to share with them our lives. Gospel-centered preaching and teaching, gospel-centered community, right? They go together. Author Philip Yancey was, uh, wrote about a time when he was speaking to a group of people about grace in the city of Toronto. He'd been asked to come to Toronto to speak at a conference. And at one point, he asked the audience about their own experiences in, you know, extending grace to other people. And one lady spoke up and shocked everyone. She said, well, you know, I, I feel called to minister to telephone marketers. You know, the kind of people who call at inconvenient hours, usually supper time, and deliver their spiel before you can say a word. Really? Well, I don't think I dare tell you how I handle those callers. <laughs> Hello? Ka-ching. That's it, you know. Don't bother me with those telephone marketing calls. I would ask for a show of hands, but not a good idea. Anyway, the, this lady continued. She said, all day long, these poor sales callers hear people curse at them and slam the phone down. I, I, I don't curse, but I slam the phone down. I, I, I listen t attentively to their pitch, she said, and then I try to respond kindly, though I almost never buy what they're selling. Instead, I ask them about their personal life and whether they have any concerns I can pray for. Often they ask me to pray with them over the phone and sometimes they're in tears. They're people too, after all. Probably underpaid and they're surprised when someone treats them with common courtesy. Well, I, you know, I, I marvel at this woman's gracious spirit. I really do. It's not for me. <laughs> There's my awful sense of humor coming up again, but I just think of all the times I get irritated. Huh? I, I just get irritated at telephone marketers and with salespeople who don't speak English. I mean, it's just so hard to, to get through and, and make sense of the thing. And, and I'm sure it frustrates them as well. 
Regardless of what their language, their, their, their mother tongue is, they're, they're just trying to earn a living and trying to, trying to get through and trying to communicate, and I'm trying to understand, and I can't. I'm frustrated, and they're frustrated, and everybody's frustrated. It drives me crazy. Yancey goes on to say, I, I catch myself treating people as if they were machines, not people. Subtly or not so subtly, I let other people know that I've been interrupted and I need to get back to work. And in the process, I miss golden opportunities to dispense grace. Ah, stab me in the heart. That is so convicting, isn't it? Ouch. What was it Paul said again? Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only the information, not only the words, not only the doctrine, not only the teaching, but, but our lives as well. So we need to be gracious. Gracious. Be biblical. Yes. Be authentic. Yes. And be gracious. Fantastic resolutions for the new year, don't you think? There's one more. Paul deals with one more priority, and that is to be relevant. Verse 11, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. So go back and take that whole passage together. There, there is really a direct link between talking and walking the gospel. There's a direct link in Paul's life between what he taught about the gospel and how he lived out the gospel. And that link should be evident in our lives too, even though the truth of Scripture is ancient. Even though most of the Bible is written, you know, a couple thousand years ago or more, when it's received as the authoritative, sufficient, trustworthy, convincing, powerful, effective Word of God, which it is, then it goes to work immediately. And Paul says it's specifically in you who are believers. It's, in other words, it's up-to-date, it's relevant, it's significant, and it's applicable to us who believe if we receive it as the Word of God. So if we're, if we're hoping to reach our generation and our city with the gospel, and if the young adults in our congregation this morning are, are hoping to reach their generation with the gospel, then... Relevance needs to be a fairly high priority. Jesus was relevant. He actually met people where they were, not where they ought to have been. Imagine if some of the religious officials today were to meet up with that Samaritan woman who had had five men, and the guy she's living with now is not her husband. Imagine what they would have said to her. 
Jesus was so relevant in his ministry with this dear woman. He met people where they were, not where they ought to have been. He gave them time to get to where they should be. He purposely stayed on their level, as messy as that can be sometimes. When you get on the level of, of, of people who, who, who have needs in their lives and whose lives are dysfunctional and their relationships are messed up and they're strung out on coke or addicted to pornography or whatever, it's messy. It's messy. Jesus was the epitome of relevance. And he still is. He still is. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church. He said, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. See, it's, it's my personal conviction that whenever believers are walking uh, in the walking out a lifestyle in a manner that's pleasing to God, they'll be relevant. There will be a, a degree of relevance and a level of relevance in their lives that no one could deny. It'll be relevant in their society and relevant in their culture, just like Arnold Abbott. Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 90-year-old Arnold Abbott had such a burden for feeding the homeless uh, in the city of Fort Lauderdale, and he just went out and did it. He just gathered people together who had the same sort of passion and did it. Well, he's been summoned to court for the third time in the last two weeks for doing this act of charity. Uh, apparently, he's breaking bylaws. The 90-year-old the man said he will... He will continue to feed the homeless until he physically cannot or till he dies. He said, and I quote, I'm, I'm trying to allow homeless people to have the same rights as everyone else. There is no rug big enough to sweep them under, he told a reporter. Was his ministry to the homeless people of Fort Lauderdale relevant? Yes, of course it was. Why? I think because he was walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Was he dressed right? And did he have his hair right? That didn't matter at all. His lifestyle, his, his commitment was to live out his life uh, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And so he found a place that was absolutely relevant and the needs were met. So let's make sure that we practice what we preach. huh? Let's practice what we preach. That's how you stay relevant in a culture and in a society and in your own family with teenagers. Practice what you preach. Live it out. Remember, they can smell a phony a hundred miles away. So as we cling to the sufficiency and adequacy of Holy Scripture, let's not lose sight of the need to be relevant in our ministry, whatever that is. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, we're praying this morning that you would help us the power of, by the power of the Holy Spirit to set a firm foundation for our lives, for our families, and, and be biblical. Just set that as a, as a New Year's resolution or priority for 2015. We want to be biblical. We want to develop a biblical mindset, a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. Father, help us to apply the truth of Scripture 
in such a way that, that our lives are just oozing and dripping with authenticity. We don't want to be phony or trumped up. We, we just really want to be authentic believers in the city and throughout the county, wherever we, wherever we live. We pray that you would help us to develop a compassionate attitude toward other people and to be gracious to everyone we meet. And, oh God, we, we want to stay current. We want to stay up to date. We want to be relevant in our world and in the culture in which we live. We want to win the right to be heard and to be able to give a, a defense, a, a reason for the hope that is stored up within us. And Lord, as we begin to do this with your help, then Christianity becomes something that's absorbed and not just worn. It's more than believed. It is incarnated. And if there's anything that will catch the attention of preoccupied people in our culture, it's your truth incarnated. It happened in the first century, Lord, and it can happen in the 20th, the 21st, the 22nd centuries, should the Lord tarry. And it can happen right here in Windsor, Essex. It can happen at the gathering and in our homes. Oh, let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.